go succinct and not too boring, and, and start off by saying kind of feeling in fact, in fact that in some ways my conversation follows on the one we just had about the politics of, of the financial crisis and its impact on uh, various nation states. And I would suggest to you at the outset that the global financial crisis initially seemed to have uh, rather mixed uh, implications. On the one hand, it signaled the bankruptcy of neoliberal regulation and uh, a new era of renewed faith in government. On the other hand, you see the sudden stranglehold of budgetary constraints of slow economic growth and the rising fortunes of parties on the right, the populist movements on the right. Um, in some ways, I think we're at something of a critical juncture and that both economic and political choices are rather fluid. So what I want to do today is think about the future of managed and relatively egalitarian capitalism after the crisis of finance capitalism. And I'm especially interested in whether strong societal institutions for non-market coordination can in fact persist after the crisis. Uh, whether they'll continue to sustain relative equality and higher levels of social protection, even, even while they sustain rather high levels of economic growth as they have in the past. Um, and I'm particularly interested in the organization of employers to the politics of responding to the crisis. And so for me, the linchpin really has been, the linchpin in cross-national variation has really been the organization of employers. And uh, I've written numerous articles on this topic, but um, the state figures large in this as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit about that over the course of the talk. Uh, but I really want to spend the time getting to how Scandinavia has responded to the crisis and whether or not this, in fact, represents something of a success story. So uh, the talk will proceed in three parts. First of all, I want to consider the role of business coordination in sustaining high levels of equality, social protection, and solidarity, even while responding uh, to the crisis. Second, think of how some ideological and economic impacts of the financial crisis might influence states' abilities to continue to sustain social protections, uh, and finally look at the specific impacts on, uh, on solidarity. And as I said, I'm very interested in how some of these early assumptions that we had about what determines more egalitarian societies continue to exist, or whether the rules of the game have changed with the financial crisis, so that our old ideas about what makes some states do better quote unquote better, have changed. Now, um, the first thing I would say to you is that uh, market inequality and dualism increased substantially in the last few decades, even before the crisis. Uh, but some countries have been much better able than others to resist these trends. So you have to wonder why. And a lot of the work on, on, on some of these questions sees employers as irrelevant in coalitions for uh, social protections, for investing in low-skilled workers, for equality, redistribution, et cetera. 
but in a, a book manuscript and series of articles, when Swank and I have suggested that employers can be an important linchpin in political coalitions to sustain welfare state spending and to respond to financial pressures in a more egalitarian way. Uh, the organization of the business class and most importantly the structure of encompassing associations plays a big role and the state plays a major role in the creation and sustaining of these associations. So in a 2008 APSR article and a forthcoming World Politics article, we look at why different kinds of business associations emerge. Uh, we say that has to do with the system of party competition, two-party systems versus multi-party systems, and centralization versus federalism. And we have four kinds of business associations. So macro-corporatism is the Nordic model, and enterprise coordination is, uh, or, or sectoral coordination is the kind of continental and German model, and pluralism is, uh, is the liberal model. And then we have another, uh, another square. Um, and so we have spent a lot of time looking historically at how these models of coordination emerge. Well, that's not what I'm going to talk about here. Instead, what I want to do is, is sit, think about how the structure of peak associations matter to these things that we potentially care about. And we say that macro-corporatist associations of the kind that you find in Scandinavia have certain effects that tend to increase social solidarity. And, and of course, we're interested in whether this continues after the financial crisis. So first of all, they have political economic effects. If you have high levels of coordination, uh, you get wage compression, uh, and wage compression motivates both states and firms to, to invest more in low-skilled workers because you can't really support high wages for the low-skilled, so there's a tendency to bring skills of all the workers up. Uh, these associations have collective action effects. They help employers to uh, jointly get collective goals, such as in training, because they enforce compliance. Uh, they also have cognitive effects in that they uh, channel information and create identities and shape preferences. There's a constructivist active, uh, aspect to this. And uh, my article in 2004 and uh, our joint article, and Gwen's and my article in 2004 kind of go into that. Um, we also think that a large public sector changes the dynamics of macro-corporatism and helps to sustain high levels of coordination. Now, we realize that this is a bit of a sell, right? Because we tend to think of large public sectors as a drain on the economy, uh, something that drags investment away from the private sector into the public sector. Uh, but in fact, we found, and we found this both empirically uh, in the, in the pre-crisis period uh, in all kinds of ways, uh, and that was uh, the second paper that I circulated along with the one written for this conference gets at that. Uh, a larger state creates higher employment rates. Uh, higher employment rates means that low-skilled workers tend to be workers, not welfare recipients. So there's a smaller gulf between workers and non-workers. You get more female employees, more demand for benefits. Also, there's been a big push in Scandinavia to improve 
public sector productivity. In fact, they take uh, public sector productivity enhancements even more seriously than liberal countries have. And so there's been a real struggle over the past two decades to make the public sector uh, more productive. Uh, the state really wants the firms to participate in some of these policies, like active labor market policies. So I interviewed 107 randomly selected firms in Denmark and Britain and found that the Danish firms participated much more uh, in part because of their corporatist associations, in part because the state worked so hard to get these firms to participate. And the social partners tend to participate in social reforms because they've had a lot of control over these areas historically, and they don't want to lose their jurisdiction. And so they tend to go along. And so ironically, perhaps, big government tends to sustain solidarism and coordination even while make, uh, uh, maintaining very high levels of economic growth. And the paper that we uh, circulated uh, shows a lot of those outcomes. Now the obvious question is, okay, all that was a beautiful story, uh, but how will countries continue to respond after the fall? In fact, coordination was a story about sustaining equality during an era of globalization and deindustrialization. But what happens when some, so, suddenly you get deglobalization and uh, the fall of service sectors, especially retail and finance? And so, uh, so our question really is, what is the impact of, of uh, the coordination on various things uh, after the fall? Okay, so we would suggest to you that fi the financial crisis has created somewhat mixed opportunities for future director trajectories in public policy. And the first is the impact of the crisis on ideas about regulation and big government. And of course, some of that has come out already today. Uh, Gamble, for example, points out that the past few decades has been dominated by a growth model based on deregulation of finance capital. Uh, and now, of course, there are big questions about the legitimacy of that growth model and the growth model relying on bubbles in, uh, in real estate, uh, commodities such as oil, shares, etc. After the crisis, a big case was made for coordination in big government. Uh, you get a lot of, uh, of, uh, of this talk. The Warwick Commission uh, notes a need for systemic regulation due to the interdependence of institutions. Uh, there's an immediate rise in uh, uh, expansionary fiscal policies. After, uh, after the, um, the fall, everybody celebrates Obama. Um, you know, you think this is a kind of the new world. Um, at the same time, the new logic of post-finance um, capitalism has somewhat mixed ideological implications, I would suggest to you. The first thing is that there's also uh, a failure of debt-driven growth, uh, what Colin Crouch has called privatized Keynesianism. In fact, deregulation is not only the only negative lesson. Uh, this debt-driven growth is another one. As Fred Block has pointed out, we've been in a period of re-regulation rather than deregulation. And so regulation in and of itself isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, another point is that where the left was in charge, many are turning right again. 
uh, you get the defeat of new labor and the Tea Party. So, um, so I think the ideological uh, um, examples, uh, lessons are mixed. Um, the, the other thing, of course, is that the budgetary implications are profound. The crisis creates a fiscal straitjacket for social investments. Uh, the bubble economy created all sorts of fiscal resources for social programs, for high unemployment. Um, social solidarity falls apart with fiscal austerity. Now, at the same time, as was just pointed out earlier, countries have been hit in desperate fashion, depending on pre-crisis budgets, the severity of the crisis, automatic stabilizers, um, so you get a kind of mixed economic story. Uh, the other thing is that there's been a big concern about rising protectionism. Uh, countries have engaged in beggar die getter politics, especially in less developed countries. And uh, for example, Eastern Europe, there's complete chaos over, over, after overstimulation by uh, countries such as Sweden and, uh, and Austria. So you get mixed legacies from the, from the crisis. Now, uh, the question I want to pose now is, do these Scandinavian countries have an easier time responding to the crisis? And in particular, do they have an easier time because of the structure of, uh, of coordination, which enables certain kinds of collective action by the social partners? Now, the first thing to notice, note about Scandinavia is you see powerful negative impacts on economic growth and employment. In fact, these countries are celebrated as the big uh, success stories, right, in the old days, especially in employment. Um, GDP growth in 2011 was projected to be 3.2% in Sweden, 2% in Denmark, 2.5% in Finland, and this is compared to 3.5% in the U.S. and 2.5, I'm sorry, Canada. Uh, oh, this is, should be UK, 2.5 in the UK. So not great growth. Uh, unemployment, after looking really good for years, is surging there. Almost 7% in Denmark, 8.7% in Sweden, 9% in Finland, uh, similar to the US uh, and the UK. The continental countries, as someone pointed out earlier, with the worst unemployment before the crisis, are holding fast during the downturn. So Germany is holding at 8% in 2011, France 9.5%. Uh, I'm going to say more about that in a minute. I'm not sure that's completely good news. Okay. Um, the next thing to say, though, is that apart from this bad news, there's a lot of not so bad news. And it's the not-so-bad news that I think is rather interesting. Um, the first thing I want to say is that financial deregulation in these countries is much more muted. Banks have, in fact, rebounded rather quickly. Denmark was the first to guarantee deposits. Scandinavian banks have gained market share. Uh, the Danish bailout plan won high praise from the EU. Uh, Lucerne's Institute for Management Development evaluated countries' responses to the financial crisis. Denmark came in number one. The fiscal impacts I find really fascinating. Okay, so these are the biggest public sectors in the world. They have the lowest budget deficits, even after the crisis. So in 2011, Sweden minus 1.7%, Denmark minus 4.8%, Finland minus 38 
the U.S. 8.9, U.K. minus 10.3. These countries were running budget surpluses before the crisis, and they're not doing too badly after the crisis. Now, the third point I want to make is that the Danish concept of flexibility, in fact, is intended to work exactly the way it has. Because the idea is, when you have bad growth, everybody goes on unemployment. That's what's supposed to happen. They don't go on just regular unemployment. They, in fact, go on training programs. They get retooled. Uh, they get uh, reconfigured. Few labor market regulations in these countries should work this way to ease higher employment during booms, so you have surges of, of employment, but aid and train workers during downturns. And so uh, one of the Danes pointed out that these higher rates of employment in continental countries is actually not a good thing because they don't really need all those workers that are working. Um, what the Danes and Swedes have done is a lot of economic restructuring to take advantage of the crisis, especially green technologies are encouraged, uh, Swedish credits for environmental R&D in the auto industry, and I have a lot of examples of this in the paper. Now, another thing that's been really interesting is the social partners have, in fact, sustained collective bargaining processes, and they've made serious concessions on both sides. So things have not fallen apart despite the concession, the, the crisis, and even more so, they've made some real efforts to do creative, non-zero-sum solutions to the crisis. So there's been a big increase in job sharing. Um, they have had stresses in the collective bargaining round, but they've managed to come through. So in Sweden, analysts said that the greatest victor was the model itself. Um, the social partners in Denmark jointly asked the government to take the lead in developing more flexible work sharing rules so companies could be protected from making uh, deeply invasive cuts. And in fact, they criticized the bourgeois government for not going far enough in this way. Uh, they've also fended attacks by the right on things like active labor market policies. And I have a lot of uh, examples in the paper where the bourgeois government tries to cut back uh, uh, spending on active labor market policies. Uh, the, the labor and the employers, VA and LO, jointly write letters, protested, etc. 67% of Danes believe they'd find a job within six months if laid off, compared to only 45% of all EU citizens. They're used to a lot of fluidity, right? Labor market fluidity, because they're not these labor market rigidities. And so, you know, they're just kind of riding the course. Now, uh, I also just want to say that um, the, uh, uh, um, there have been moves to the right. I'm not going to talk about this. Anyway, there's been some stuff to the right. But, but this classic Scandinavian story I find really fascinating is you get these bourgeois uh, parties and social movements. Uh, for the first time, the anti-immigrant party just won over 4% of the vote in Sweden. The labor market partners keep bourgeois parties from pushing them too much. So when Anders Fogh Rasmussen comes into power in 2001 in Denmark, he has this big neoliberal line. He very quickly finds out that business and labor are not going to let him go anywhere. All right, so uh, what are the conclusions here? Well, the first conclusion is that the macro-corporatist institutions 
continue to work to facilitate high rates of social solidarity and positive economic indicators. I really think these countries have it all. Uh, natural corporatist countries and large states are doing somewhat better at responding to the economic crisis than elsewhere. They're doing a whole lot better at responding without a whole lot of pain. Uh, liberal and coordinated countries are learning rather different lessons from the crisis, which is really interesting. So where Britain is like, you know, dumping the welfare state, the Danes are saying, let's just run budget deficits for a while. You know, trying to, trying to balance the budget is the height of stupidity at the current moment. Now, nonetheless, after this kind of day-glow optimist conclusion, a big question is solidarity for whom? And I suggest to you that even if the institutions for coordination help some countries continue to sustain relative equality within their borders, are we only concerned about the insular countries of Western Europe, or should we worry about a broader cross-section of humanity? How do we re uh, reconcile social solidarity with ethnic exclusion, and what will be the impact of finance capitalism on the truly disadvantaged throughout the world. Okay, thank you very much.